to Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday. I'm your host and today a very special guest from PwC Australia, Sharon Panaya, Director of Health and Wellbeing, Public Policy and Economics. PwC recently published its Future of Work report and uh, How Hybrid Working is Rewriting the Rulebook and Sharon is one of the authors. We're very privileged to have Sharon talking with us today. She has a PhD in public health. As a leader, Sharon is recognized for building high performing teams with collaborative and positive cultures and views diversity and inclusion as key. Welcome, Sharon. It's a pleasure, Nina. Thanks for having me. Sharon, you've been one of the authors of this amazing report about the, the, the future of work. What's on your mind? What's on my mind is probably the same as what's on every employer's mind, Nina. It's um, how do you think about well-being in the context of a workplace, which is not something we've traditionally done. Um, and more so as we move from what's quite a traditional notion of a workplace, you know, working in offices or as frontline services. Um, where do we go from here when it's hybrid and you're now allowed to work a little bit at home, a little bit at work and a little bit somewhere else if you choose to? Um, and what does that mean in terms of how we're set up to do our work effectively and well and continue to be productive? Um, we've learned a lot through COVID and I think we're still learning. So it's a bit of a learn as you go, if I'm really honest about it. Um, but it's certainly a conversation that we, a depth of conversation we're having now that we haven't before around mental health and wellbeing. And it's probably a very positive thing that we're rethinking all of the assumptions <laughs> of the past. Yeah, absolutely. We should be talking about it. So it's it's been the trigger that we needed to actually maybe uh, it was disruptive, but at the same time, now that we're moving into recovery, there's an opportunity to keep what's positive and uh, reconsider the future. So according to this report, um, hybrid working is rewriting the rule book. So um, how has the world of work changed forever? Yeah, look, it really has. And I think different workplaces are approaching this very differently. You know, for us at PwC, we have 8,000 people nationally. We've got offices, you know, across each of them, capital cities, um, which means we have got offices and we can go in. Now, through COVID, a lot of us were working from home through lockdown. And as we started to trickle back as, you know, different borders had different approaches to how they managed that, um, you know, we saw that some people were coping and some people weren't. So how do you start to understand that when you're not in front of someone every day? How do you start to think about managing a team when not everyone's in the office all the time? How do you monitor the value and the activity of what they do, which we traditionally call productivity, but is that the right measure or do we need to redefine what productivity looks like in a hybrid working environment? Absolutely. And if we consider the behavioural preferences of different types or yeah. styles of thinkers and, and, and people, then some people thrive in a hybrid, you know, 50, 50 work uh, at home, work in office, and others really need the office. So is that something that you're <laughs> taking into account? 
Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the things that we've said in the report here is that it's really important to get to know your people and your teams because, you know, I'm an introvert. So I actually thrived working from home because it was quiet and I got to think time and I got to get some work done. But for others, you know, I feel more disconnected and isolated and aren't down with the pulse and being able to talk to human and humans who they, you know, derive energy from. So there's a real need, I think, to learn about people, learn about the structure of the teams and how the dynamic of the team environment comes together understand what people are strong at what people are weak at and how that comes together in a complementary fit um, from a well-being perspective I think that's how you enable your teams to thrive but also help them to learn how to design um, a structure of work that suits them so if you've got a team of five and you know two of you like working two days at home and three days in the office or whatever that structure looks like actually understanding how people work, um, what their domestic situations are like, what additional expectations there are on them from, you know, picking up young children, for example, so that there are times when they're off and you've got other people on hand to be able to manage that load. You know, you need to have a real conversation about this stuff now. Mm, so it's not, not enough for a manager to say, well, we're all going back to how it used to be before because people have had a taste of, uh, of flexibility and maintaining productivity in fact there's even uh, on another tangent a bit of a worry about people working too hard and too long and suffering burnout I mean is that something that's part of the mix we certainly have heard that yes um, you know, there's been a real grey area, I'll call it, you know, when you're working from home, there's a blurring of the lines between when am I working and when am I doing home things. Um, and it's not unusual for people to be taking phone calls while, you know, putting laundry in the washing machine or cooking and, you know, does that give you the opportunity to switch off and disconnect properly so you can rest and recover because that's really important. Um, and moving beyond that, you know, a lot of our interactions are now through a screen. And so if you spend 80% of your day on a screen and you're cognitively saturated and you're just exhausted, does that help you sleep? Or are you so exhausted that you fall asleep immediately and we're all different there as well? Well, it's it's interesting because uh, sleep is definitely important to, to, to be functioning as a, as a fully productive human. Um, the, the report, uh, PwC's report identified four key areas to make hybrid working work, where we work, our well-being at work, how we make it work, and our experience of work. So what you're saying is that, um, and certainly in terms of uh, managers and leaders now, asking the questions of their people, not just in behind closed door meetings, what is it that you want? Is that is that really what's coming to the fore now, taking into account uh, your team members' preferences? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to do um, because if you do want to have a view over productivity, you know, that's one of the ways to do that. So you understand um, what drives success and what creates a successful environment for different people. So it's, it's absolutely important. Um, really understanding what else is going on in someone's world so you can provide additional support um, as necessary and as appropriate. Um, you know, there are often questions we don't like to ask because it feels like you're probing into someone's personal life. And, you know, traditionally there's been quite a clear professional boundary around what are the things you talk about at work and what are the things you don't talk about at work. Um, so even that's starting to blur. And I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, when we break it down to 
a very simple place. We're all humans, we're all social beings and we do enjoy that interaction. So how do you build that into, um, you know, driving high performance and high talent teams? Well, it's interesting that you should mention that, Sharon, because an earlier episode with Sarah Derry, who's the uh, Senior Vice President of People and Culture at, for the ACOR group, the hospitality group, uh, they, they've named their culture a heartist culture, as in heart, I-S-T, heartist. And they make it part of culture that a couple of minutes before every meeting, they actually chat about each other's lives. So you do have permission to find out appropriately just the little things that are going on in people's lives, maybe celebrate their wins, uh, maybe moral support for a little bit of uh, issues that they're suffering without, you know, prying. Um, what, what's, is that the sort of thing that you want to see a more human approach to interaction and managers are, are realizing that it's okay to find out a little bit about their people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, look, we're adopting that a little bit here at PwC as well. I'm, I'm a Kiwi. I don't know if you've picked up the accent already, but um, in New Zealand, you sort of start every meeting with a bit of a who you are and where you come from and what part of the land and place are you connected to. It's a really lovely way to break ice and it sort of creates that, oh, I've been there and you have that informal interaction before you launch into business proceedings. So it's a really wonderful way to start a conversation to start a meaningful interaction and create connection that's not just about the task at hand but is about the people in the room. Well I love the sound of that are you saying that's what they do in New Zealand and they don't yet do in Australia or? I think many organisations are doing it in Australia there's um there's an aboriginal alternative to that as well um, and I think there are different structures and guides. They're really practical tools you can use to answer, you know, three or four questions if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable with it, yeah. just to ease you into it. Right. That's lovely. That's lovely. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to read from uh, one little paragraph from the report. And I didn't really know what it meant, the third space. I'll read it out. And I couldn't Google and get an answer either. Organisations now need to redesign their workplace strategy to be ready for a reality where people work across a remodeled office, home, and third space. I could only think that was Zoom meetings, or <laughs> MS Teams meetings, online meetings. Yeah, and look, I think it's pretty loose, the third space. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what the answer to that is, but I suspect it's a virtual space. Um, yes, but it right. also might be, you know, lots of people are using cafes or going down the road and doing coffee oh, meetings. And so it leaves it reasonably loose that you're still working in environments that aren't traditionally work-based environments. Well, I love, the, I love the fact that you've given it a, a title and a category because I went to a, uh, another uh, interviewer, Nigel Payne, who was out from London doing a workshop some years ago, and I've interviewed him for the podcast. When we were doing our workshop, he would say, okay, we're doing a share with a partner walk around the block. And he, at least twice, it was a nice sunny day, at least twice he got us to have a conversation on the move. And it just broke up the day, but also got, got, um, got the blood pumping and sent a shot of oxygen to our brain. And it really was uh, a nice thing to do. So to go off to a cafe or to uh, maybe walk around the block with someone to chat about something. Sounds like the third space is definitely a good idea and to give it a name has power. Yeah. Now, um, 
your specific area is well-being literacy. That's an interesting term. I've heard of financial literacy and, of course, reading literacy. Tell us about well-being literacy. Yeah, so look, I'll describe that in three layers. You know, there's a um, organisational layer. So how literate is your organisational workplace at talking about well-being and about addressing well-being as a whole? There's the layer around the employees who sit in your workforce. You know, how competent are they in talking about their well-being, both mental, physical and otherwise? Um, and then us as individuals. So, you know, how do we talk about ourselves? Are we comfortable doing that in a work environment? Um, and how do we enable and build capability across all those three layers so that, you know, your executive is talking consistently and driving different messages, but really nailing the thread of, you know, caring for people and talking about mental health and well-being openly um, and that having, you know, not so great experiences is okay. That doesn't mean you're a failure as a person, but actually that's part of what we do day to day. And if you pick yourself up and carry on, that's all part of, you know, workplace and life and culture. So how do you drive that through an organisation and reduce that stigma of wanting to talk about um, negative experiences so other people feel normal? Um, that's one element of it. The other element, I suppose, is, you know, we often encourage people to ask if you're okay. I mean, there's a whole campaign about that, are you okay? But, but do we know what to do if someone says they're not? And so that's a really big area that we need to start lifting skills for across workplaces. You know, do we know where to direct people to evidence-based resources and tools and support services? Do we feel uncomfortable about that? Um, do we as individuals know where to go? Um, there's a lot of information out there. So, you know, it's not unusual or unheard of to feel completely overwhelmed when you actually open the door to some websites, for example. And there's often, you know, a quotation that, that we hear around, how do I know what's right for me? You know, I, I might just want to dip my toes and seek a little bit of information, but how do I know that's actually what I'm looking for and it's, it's right for my context and my situation? You know, those are all the conversations we're starting to navigate. And of course, uh, it would... It would make sense if a manager understood if there was ability to refer someone to an employee assistance program or EAP and just there are international listeners to this uh, is EAP kind of aware is everybody around the world aware of EAP or is that an Australian term? I think more of an Australian term it's an yeah. employee assistance program EAP I, I'm sure there will be global variants of that I mean yeah. it's effectively a service that supports workplace mental health and um, well-being and it, with your organization which is you know large um, do you have an EAP uh, program that's in-house and coaches or counsellors that can you know, someone might have had a, a grief situation, a, a, mm. an incredible loss. Mm. They might need some counselling to uh, to be able to be productive again. Is that the sort of thing that uh, you might refer a team member to, to EAP for? Yeah, we actually have a whole range of services. I know um, across Australia, I don't know what the percentages are, but they're like 90% of Australian workplaces will have access to an EAP service of some sort. So it's pretty broad. Yeah. Um, and there are different pro providers nationally that provide EAP services. So, you know, how you access them will depend on the arrangement that your workplace has with that particular provider. Um, but look, that being said, there are a range of um, alternative services as well. So, I mean, fundamentally, what you want to be able to do is give people choice and access to a variety of access options. 
Um, EAP might be one, there might be more traditional counselling services, there are a range of digitally enabled tools that you can direct people to. You've got very trusted brands, um, you know, well-known brands like Beyond Blue or Black Dog Institute, for example, um, who are able to provide that evidence-based guidance specifically for workplaces and they're funded by government to do things like that. So look, a variety of um, tools, but again, it comes down to at times, particularly if you're not in the right headspace, that can be really overwhelming. So how do you find what's right for you and navigate towards that when there is so much out there? Um, where do you start? So it seems to me that managers have to cultivate emotional intelligence to be able to ha have empathy when they're ha you know, having a conversation with a staff member that is who's confiding that they have a few issues and to do it in a way that uh, the, 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 the team member doesn't, won't feel that they're going to be disadvantaged by explaining their situation. Is that, is that a challenge for leaders? Um, so there's very much a, um, in the workplace, a desire to preserve anonymity. So I think many people still feel uncomfortable with talking about what's going on in their lives for fear of disadvantage, exactly as you're describing, Nina. Um, you know, it's, that might happen, I don't know, I don't have a view on that. Um, but what we need to be able to do is to say, it's okay, you know, and be able to direct them to relevant support. So if every workplace does have support services available, and there's a one stop shop that's relevant and appropriate for each workplace, you know, that's your sort of where to go guide. Um, we don't expect and we shouldn't expect everyone to be trained health professionals. I don't think that's the intent here, but a little bit of education and awareness building goes a long way. And I think there's a little bit more we can do again to lift that capability across not just our formal and named and known leaders, but our informal leaders and the networks across our organisation. So you've got a breadth of access. Well, thanks, Sharon. And of course, the report is is uh, fairly far reaching. It talks about, you know, the physical space of the office. Um, ha um, how is the traditional office increasingly unfit for, uh, for purpose? Oh, it's so interesting. I think it's so different across all the different workplaces. I mean, if I think I work a lot in the health sector. So if I think about, you know, our frontline responders, our health service providers, um, they have a very different workplace. They're not in an office day to day, though there are back office functions. Um, look, I, I think this whole notion of a hybrid workplace needs to take stock of the reality of your workplace. So what is it that your people are employed to do and where they're able to do it? Um, in a retail environment, that's going to look and feel very differently to, you know, a traditional office-based environment. So, um, again, it's coming back to the we need to keep flexibility as part of this, but how do you balance flexibility with productivity and pull wellbeing through as a really core thread that's integrated through everything we do in businesses, organisations and workplaces? I think that's really important. And of course, um, social distancing and not having too many people in an elevator at one time, that's going to be the reality for several years, even, even when the population is... Um, is vaccinated, mm -hmm. I think we'll have to have, be quite careful about our physical space around people. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. And th that's the uncertainty we're all living with, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the unknown. It's the yeah. unknown. Um, yeah. What attributes of the old ways of leadership have to be updated to drive the organisational success in the new normal? 
Yeah, look, so I think it goes back to that capability point I was making earlier um, and, and how you communicate, how you communicate clearly um, to minimise the impact of that uncertainty, because I think we're in a place now where actually there's been so much change and that uncertainty around the ongoing nature of this, you know, you open the door a little, you close the door a little, you open again, close the door again, it leaves people feeling unsteady. So I think they're looking to leadership to drive consistent messages, to provide reassurance, to provide clarity and guidance around what to do, but also what not to do. Um, and I think that needs to continue. Um, the real connection to people and acknowledging that different people are experiencing um, sometimes positive, sometimes not so positive um, experiences with these changes is critical and that, you know, we're here to listen, we're here to help. Um, and again, lifting that capability to be able to talk about that efficiently, effectively and well is, has got to be part of what we do now. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And uh, reading into this report, they, they talk about things like the return on experience for an organization's well-being strategy. What exactly is the return on experience? Yeah, it's not to be dissimilar to the return on investment. So, you know, it is an economic concept. What, what we're trying to get organizations to think about is, you know, you might already invest into EAP services, for example, or, you know, whatever sort of toolkit you've got in your bag for your workplace. How do, you, how do you understand what return you get out of that? So out of that investment into training, to people development, into um, having these tools and resources available, um, what's the right mix? And are you looking at that? Um, and how do you understand and ensure that even though you've got something in place, whether and to what extent people are using that. So that's the experience component. It's all well and good to have a toolkit, but if people aren't using them or if they aren't finding value or meaning out of them, you know, is there value in keeping that? So it's just getting people to take stock of, have you got the investments and the mix of that right? Do you need to relook at that and refresh that in light of your people's experience and in light of hybrid working environments? Um, just to reshape the fit and so people are really getting that value out of it. One of the things they talk about in the um, in the report is uh, return on in value from an organization's well-being strategy. I mean we said return on experience. How is that what's the nuance of return on in return on in oh, I'm saying it wrong return on value. So really similar, Nina. So it was what I covered earlier around um, the return on investment. So how do you know that your money is well spent and you're delivering value for your employees? The experience element is that, you know, you've got things in place, but are people actually using it? Are they engaging with it? Is it still useful? Does it need to be updated? Is it still contemporary? It's putting those two dimensions together to give you a sense of um, how do people experience the investments that you've made into whether it's mental health and wellbeing support services, digitally enabled tools, um, you know, policies, practices, training, education materials. How, how do you connect those two things together? We haven't yet mentioned where they can get the report, who's listening. It's pwc.com.au forward slash future of work. Who should read this report, Sharon? It's for every workplace. So it's not just for corporates, it's for every workplace because hybrid working is absolutely part of our future. And we've got to start designing and recreating and reframing how we think about some of these things um, so that you know we're building for the future, which is stuff we're learning about. And are there easy ways to make it easy for people to work solo uh, 
because sometimes people have questions and they want to interrupt but they like is there a digital tool like uh, an app that people can use that bypasses email that people can ask their to and fro questions and yet you know get the immediate feedback they have if they have an immediate question instead of what would happen in a traditional workplace they get up from their desk and go and ask someone yeah there are lots of tools like that in market now um, what do we call them chat tools messenger tools and so you've got different varieties available so you can um, interact with people in a more active way rather than you know formalizing things via an email and have you got a favorite one that pwc uses or or we what are we doing we, different yeah, I mean, there, there's real choice and variety. I mean, even with our virtual tools that we're all using at the moment, Microsoft has a version, Google has a version, I'm sure Zoom will have a version. Right. Um, it, it supports with that connectivity when you're unable to be within a physical place together. So you can still interact and create that connection and collaboration. Um, and whether that's through chatting to each other through small messages or whether it's through um, collaborating on a word style document together where you know multiple people are creating that document at real in, in the, at the same time and in, in the same space yeah that's fabulous so um these uh digital uh collaborative documents working together that's uh just one of the the best things that have come out of uh you know having a digital workplace these days mm. well, we're coming to the to the end of our uh, conversation sharon and it's been really interesting to to read this report and i urge everybody to uh download it and how um how active were you in the uh in the report did you have to do lots of research or you're already uh you know up to speed with uh, all of the issues there? I mean, was it over a period of time that you're working as a collaborative team to author this report? Yeah, it was a collaborative team. So we all had our role to play. There's a bit of research in there, absolutely. We've drawn some data, woven some data through the report, as you'll see. Um, look, we're really privileged to be working with a range of clients, you know, so we, we have we have the ability to draw in anecdotes and insight from real experiences that also is woven through the report. Um, I'm not sure if your listeners will be aware, but there's also um, a live podcast that we recorded during the day, also called Changing Places, and the report came out linked to that. So that was a, I think it was a one and a half hour podcast um, that people are able to access online as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll get the link to that. We'll put it in the show notes so people can yeah, listen right. to that. Is that a PwC podcast or? It is. Yeah. It was right. changing places and right. it addressed all the things um, with the authors of the report, but also subject matter experts who came in and out to discuss those, um, the various sections of the report. Fabulous. Well, we'll put, we'll uh, let people know where they can find that. Sharon, it's been marvellous uh, speaking with you today. And thanks Thank for giving us an in-depth understanding of uh, some of the key features of this amazing report, because it's, it's only now, you know, we, we were in lockdown about a little over a year ago, and now we're sort of optimising the workspace in a way to take advantage of the best aspects of, of working from home to create this uh, new hybrid reality. So thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Nina. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>